Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com. That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com. Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720. Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois. totale affidamento a Maria che da Vescovo avrebbe espresso con il motto totus tuus rivelava anche il segreto di guardare il mondo con gli occhi della Madre di Dio. La ricca personalità del giovane Carol maturò dall'intreccio delle sue doti intellettuali, morali e spirituali con le vicende del suo tempo che segnarono la storia della sua patria e dell'Europa. Alta, del 18 ottobre, in luce di posizioni statuti, quotanis celebrare cosit, in nomine patris et fili et spiritus sancti. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. What you just heard was the request for the beatification of Pope John Paul II. I bring this to you because I was there. I was privileged to be there at this event. The request first came from Cardinal Agostino Bellini, Vicar General of the Pontiff of the Diocese of Rome, and also the postulator for the cause of beatification, Monsignor Slavomir Oder. And they asked that the beatification of the servant of God, John Paul II, might proceed. They asked this at the Mass of Beatification, the Astis of Pope Benedict XVI. And then there was his response. Benedict XVI said this, We welcome the wish of our brother Augustino Bellini, Cardinal, our Vicar General for the Diocese of Rome. We also honor the call of many of our brothers and the many faithful with the blessing of the congregation for the cause of saints and with our apostolic authority. We can see that the venerable servant of God, John Paul II, Pope, be called a blessed, with celebration to be held in sites under rules established by law each year on October 22nd. And then, of course, what followed was the applause, the entire world applauding, the bells of the grand churches of Rome pealing and ringing out the news, the shouts of joy, the jubilation that John Paul II was beatified. As I mentioned, I was there, and I have to admit it was the most humbling and moving experience, humbling from the standpoint of, first of all, that I was there due to the generosity of a number of people. I was awarded a surprise birthday gift of being able to 
go to Rome to attend the beatification of Pope John Paul II. This came through the Tabor Life Institute, which I've connected with, and the Friends of the Tabor Life Institute. If you find out more about them, you can go to taborlife.org, taborlife.org. The people at Tabor Life and those who have been touched by the work of Tabor Life, which is actually the perpetuation of John Paul II's theology of the body, those people who work to spread that message and many people who are touched by that message gave to me the gift to return to Rome, to stand in the same city, in the same place where I heard John Paul II say, teach, live and in person his teaching on the theology of the body. Little knowing that 30 years later, I once again stand in that city of Rome near St. Peter's, and I would stand to hear John Paul II beatified, certainly in part due to what I heard him teach when I was a young seminarian there in Rome. So you can imagine what a thrill this was for me. The whole event was thrilling, and I know that in bringing this to you, I bring it to you not just because it's my own personal experience, but because it's a universal experience, a triumph of the whole church, East and West. Because John Paul II was really the meeting point of East and West. First of all, he was of Slavic heritage and came from a part of the world where East and West do meet. Many Eastern Catholic and Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic Church converge at that point of the world in Central Europe. John Paul II was very familiar with Eastern churches. In fact, he wrote an apostolic letter from which we get the name of this program. The letter was called Orientale Lumen in Latin. In English, of course, it means light of the East. And also, John Paul II was a mystic. He had a very mystical, sacramental, liturgical approach to his spirituality and how he saw and communicated the teachings of the church. And this rings very familiar to those of us who are Eastern Christians, whether Catholic or Orthodox, because for us, and one of the great geniuses of the East, of course, as we always talk about in this program, is the mystical worldview, the sacramental worldview. In other words, to see things mystically, liturgically, to see how the invisible world is made visible through the physical world and order that God created, and to celebrate that through the expression of our faith, engaging all of our senses, our whole being, and what we know as liturgy, of offering, of praise and worship. John Paul II was very much this type of person. This was very much his spirituality. He was very much influenced by the mystics of the church, especially St. John of the Cross. And so this day is special for the whole church and for me personally. So I'll share with you during this program some of my own personal experiences and reflect because I think they have connections with the more universal experience, perhaps even your own personal experience of John Paul II and of the church and of spirituality itself. It was certainly a most unforgettable experience. It started off for me, actually, when I arrived in Rome in, in the airport, I saw a poster, and that was a hint of what I was about to see throughout the city, magnificent displays of John Paul II and his life, his pontificate. But this particular poster really struck me. It was my first impression when I landed in Rome to attend the beatification. It was a picture of John Paul II holding a child up lovingly and holding him up in his arms, and an Italian the poster read, I looked for you, and you came. For this, I am grateful. Those were some of the last words of John Paul II during his earthly life as he lay there close to death. It was a message to the young people, the millions of young people, literally, 
who gathered outside the window of his bedroom, that same window that he greeted and blessed the whole world from each Sunday and even many times after that. It was the message he gave to the group of people that he loved so much, the young of the world, the youth of the world. That was my first impression. But then the first evening was Saturday evening. This was the night before May 1st, Sunday, May 1st, where the actual beatification would take place. There was a sort of a celebration, a reminiscence, a vigil, as it were, at the Circus Maximus, which was a very well-known historical site in Rome. It's where they used to have the chariot races. It's like a big oval, big racetrack, and they use it for places of gathering now. And what gathered there that evening were 200,000 people. I was one of them. Most of the people there were young people. Everybody had a candle. And as they held their candles, it was quite a sight. It was an incredible sight, as far as my eye could see. A veritable sea of light flickering. Flickering, as did John Paul II's life flicker, even now as he has gone on into eternal life. Still flickering with that hope, with that love, with that burning, that zeal, especially for young people. So it was so moving for me to see that sea of candlelight from all these devoted young people and to hear the the music, the atmosphere, the beauty of that evening is something quite indescribable. And then there were the testimonies, the testimonies of the those who knew John Paul II in a very intimate way. But one particular testimony really stands out. It was a testimony of a French nun upon whom, in part, the beatification of John Paul was based because she was the first documented miracle that occurred by the intercession of John Paul II. Her name was Sister Marie Simon Pierre. She was a religious of the Congregation of the Little Sisters of Catholic Motherhood. And what happened was she had become sick just a few years ago with Parkinson's and was becoming very, very advanced. In fact, she was, in a sense, dying. And she spoke during her testimony. She spoke in her testimony how she would watch John Paul II endure the suffering of his Parkinson's as it progressively got worse, and it frightened her concerned her because she could see in him perhaps her own fate. But she was encouraged to pray, and she and the other sisters prayed. In fact, there was one evening in particular she talks about where the sisters told her, go and pray, we will pray with you. She went to bed that night, early in the middle of the night, and early in the morning, about four o'clock. She felt something very, very special, almost like an out-of-the-body type experience, to put it in certain words. And she couldn't sleep then. She got up and she realized that she could walk, and that she was compelled to write something. And she was able to write because she couldn't write before. Then she went into the church, the chapel, to pray. And she realized that she could walk and she could move. And she was a different person inside and out. And she realized that this was definitely no ordinary experience. She realized that she had, in fact, been cured. She took her case to the Vatican and has been studied and documented and declared an absolute miracle of intercession contributing to his beatification. Please stay with us here on Light of the East. We're going to talk more about this historic event, so personal to me, yet so universal. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
are listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. To find out how you can obtain a copy of the Theosis CD, call 708-645-0241. That's 708-645-0241. The choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church Theosis CD. And may God grant you... You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Watch out! He is showing us his flesh. I am Father Thomas J. Loya with the Theology of the Body moment for Tabor Life Institute. God has taken on our flesh, and during the Feast of the Epiphany, God shows his flesh to the world. In the Western Lung of the Church, God is showing this to the wise men. The Eastern Lung, having just celebrated the circumcision of Christ's flesh, now speaks of Christ's naked flesh during his baptism in the Jordan River. In the East, Epiphany is also called Theophany. So why all this flesh? Because the flesh of Jesus Christ reveals his divinity and the truth about being human. This is the theology of the body. Christ's birth, Epiphany, and baptism in the flesh has renewed all creation. And if this is real to us, how do we now see all of creation, especially human body persons? To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org. Cristo e di accettare la sua potestà. Aiutate il Papa e tutti quanti vogliono servire Cristo e con la potestà di Cristo servire l'uomo e l'umanità intera. Welcome back to Light of the East, in which I'm sharing with you my experience of attending the beatification of Pope John Paul II. And in doing so, I'm not only sharing my personal experience, but in light of the fact that that experience also, in certain senses, is universal. Maybe in some ways that will include your experiences of John Paul II. But surely this was a unique gift to me, given by friends. As I mentioned at the Tabor Life Institute, that's taborlife.org, the Tabor Life Institute. And I was given this rare privilege to attend this beatification, which, by the way, was very historical in a lot of ways. It was the first time in history, imagine, the first time in history that a pope, the Pope of Rome, beatified his immediate predecessor, especially this soon after his death. John Paul II died only about six years ago, and already he is beatified. Also, during the vigil I was talking about, the vigil before the actual day of the beatification at the great Circus Maximus there in Rome, Archbishop Givish, remember, he was the personal sort of helper or secretary to the Pope for many years, even before he was the Pope. He spoke also, along with Sister Marie Simon-Pierre, who was cured through the intercession of John Paul II. Archbishop Givish spoke about his memories of John Paul II. La tomba di Giovanni Paolo II. One of the things he said was that God and mankind, and particularly the youth, were the two great loves of his life. 
But he was a man of great prayer. He knew he was a, a, a saint, even when he was with him. And Archbishop Jeebus said he only saw the Pope get angry two times. I mean, really angry two times. And he said with good reason. One, he said, when he raised his voice against the Mafia in Sicily. And the Archbishop said, we were all a little scared at that. <laughs> but also, before the war in Iraq began, which he said in his Sunday address at the Angelus that war is never the answer. He said, I've seen war. I've been there. Grew up with that. Remember, John Paul II grew up under communism and Nazism. He saw and he knew that it was never the answer. What else could the spiritual father of the world say? He could never promote war, per se. So, of course, his message would be, don't go to war. This isn't the answer. There were two times when he was really, really angry. There was also the testimony of Joaquim Navarro Valls, who was John Paul II's spokesman for 21 years. And he said that to understand the soon-to-be beatified pontiff, one must first understand divine mercy. And he talked about how the Pope would go to confession every week, Oftentimes people ask me, well, gee, Father, I don't know whether I should go to confession. I don't have that much to confess. What should I say? I don't know what to say. I said, and so oftentimes I would tell them, and it was testified to by Mr. Valls, that, you know, even the Pope, meaning Pope John Paul II, would go to confession every week. And Joaquim Navarro Valls said that the Pope would do this because he knew that we human beings cannot make ourselves beautiful and pure on our own. We need the help that comes from God through the sacraments. And he also talked about seeing the Pope pray, seeing Pope John Paul II pray, which I had a privilege also to see as well in his private chapel. I had a number of experiences with John Paul II, actually, a number of personal experiences, but I certainly remember the experience of being with him in prayer. One of the things he would do is he would have little scraps of paper with him when he would pray. What they were were prayer intentions that were sent to him from around the world. He was always thinking and praying about other people. He was indeed a man of deep, deep prayer. But this experience of mine kept just kept crescendoing. Then came the day, the day of the actual beatification, in which I stood there and heard the actual words that you heard earlier in the program from our current Pope, Benedict XVI. The words that actually pronounced John Paul II as being beatified, meaning he's we know he's in heaven. We know that he is happy. And he can intercede for us. Now, this is the first step towards his full proclamation of being a saint. I mean, being officially, canonically referred to as a saint by the church officially. We all know he's a saint. We knew that all the time, even when he was alive. But the church has its own way of officially proclaiming that. And there's a process. And he's taken the first huge step in that process. And that process is this beatification. I went to attend the liturgy. I woke up early in the morning thinking I would get a head start. I would leave four to five hours before this mass was actually going to start. And all I could do was get about maybe a half a mile from St. Peter's Square. That's how many people were there. I couldn't go any further. So what I did was I found a place. In fact, it was Santa Maria Maggiore, one of the great basilicas of Rome, in the piazza there, the gathering area, which was full of people. But they had what's called the jumbotron. In other words, a great big giant screen with, of course, the sound. As I was able to watch the whole Mass of Beatification from the piazza there at Santa Maria Maggiore and to hear the whole thing. And I'll never forget that moment when Benedict XVI announced that John Paul II was beatified. I'll never forget that. The church bells rang out. The crowd cheered as you heard in our program earlier. People applauded. The whole world cheered. And then, as if that wasn't enough, 
the moving moment when Sister Marie, the French nun who was cured by the intercession of John Paul II, accompanied by another nun who took care of John Paul II, especially while he was sick, the two of them brought the vial of John Paul II's blood, in other words, the relic of his blood, to the altar in front of Benedict XVI with the resounding music playing. This was a most, most moving moment for me personally and really for the whole world because I was in St. Peter's Square, Piazza San Pietro, as they call it, in Rome. I was there by the colonnades, right there, when John Paul II was shot. In other words, when he spilled his blood upon that ground. I thought it was so fitting that this relic, which may have been a bit unusual, kind of unique, the actual blood, that was it was not coagulated because it had anticoagulant in it because it was taken from his body when he was in the hospital. They took it actually as part of blood for a possible transfusion. Well, the transfusion didn't happen. The Pope eventually passed away, but they kept the blood. And it was that blood that was brought to the altar there at St. Peter's that day. But I thought to myself, how fitting, because I witnessed that there in Rome, where I had also witnessed John Paul II shed his blood when he was shot by an assailant in St. Peter's Square. I was a seminarian there, and I was there in St. Peter's Square when that happened. So I thought this was so fitting in so many ways. But then, as the liturgy, the magnificent mass, the liturgy ended, I was determined to visit the coffin of Pope John Paul II, which would lie in state in St. Peter's. And they were generous enough to say that it would be there until every pilgrim had passed by. And there were probably at least two million pilgrims in St. Peter's Square and in all of Rome that weekend. But I was bound to determine because I had promised the people who were generous enough to send me there to Rome to take their prayer intentions and to pray for them at the tomb, the casket of John Paul II. So I waited in line for about two and a half hours, and early in the morning, I was able to finally get into St. Peter's and walk past the casket of John Paul II, now beatified. I was amazed that with all the hubbub and all the commotion and all the exuberance and all those pilgrims who were there in Rome and in and around St. Peter's that day, that weekend, I was amazed that once I entered into St. Peter's with thousands of people there, There was an absolute, absolute, prayerful, peaceful silence in that basilica. One that I had never heard before. People just in prayer. Walking past, some of them stepped back and were in deep prayer. Just walking by in absolute silence and in awe of this event and of the casket with the remains of John Paul II now beatified. That was one of the most remarkable experiences of my entire weekend at this beatification event. There are many more experiences which I hope to share in future programs with you because the experience really goes beyond words. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than life. It hasn't been easy for me to try to find the words to try and at least impart to you some of that experience. But I do want to thank you for listening, and I hope to share with you a lot more of that indescribable experience. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the east, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years.